need connection, accountability, support as you explore the next level version of you, give yourself a real gift this year, the gift of time. The Warrior Women Mastermind is starting again in January, a curated group of six amazing women in a safe, collaborative setting. Think you don't have enough time? The money? Wrong. Ask yourself if you're worth three hours a month and $25 a day. The biggest discovery some of the women who sign up for my mastermind figure out is they have so much in common with other women and that they have traded their worth for a to-do list. Set up your interview call with me by going to lizswadek.com. That's L-I-Z-S-V-A-T-E-K.com. Space is limited and will sell out fast. Don't miss this opportunity to put yourself first. Women aren't born warriors. We become them. And the road to becoming a warrior is bumpy as hell. Each week, I'm interviewing women who, through tragedy and triumph, are leaping for greatness. Get ready to unleash your inner warrior. I'm Liz Swadek, and this is Conversations with Warrior Women. Hello, warriors. Weight has been an on-again, off-again struggle for me over the years. I vacillate between being critical of myself for gaining weight, struggling to lose weight, and then not caring about what the scale says at all. This cycle of shame kept me feeling stuck and unworthy. I have now replaced this shame cycle with a focus on my health, my energy level, nutrition, my hydration, and my strength. Muscles, ladies. And as I do this, I realize that it's not about the weight at all. Nope. It's about what's driving my eating. Am I tired, bored, dissatisfied, depressed, happy, fearful? Maybe I'm not hungry, but I'm hungry for something else. Tapping into those feelings, creating beliefs around eating and food and soothing myself in other ways has started to make me feel more empowered and free. My guest today knows that everyone is starving for something, but ask the question, what are you really hungry for? Because most likely you are hungry for more. Most of us are not hungry for food, but for our deep universal needs of meaning, understanding, connection, and healing, to name a few. We barrel past these real needs and instead transmute it into a hunger for food. And as a result, we gain weight. Today, we break that shame cycle and challenge you to look at your eating habits in a whole new light. If you like this episode, please share it and leave us a five-star written review, offering my radical gratitude and so much love to everyone listening today because girl, as usual, warrior woman, you are not alone. Let's get into it. All right. Carrie Murray is back with the Bra Network. Carrie, I heard you have some news for us. Last time you came on and you t- we talked about the Bra Network. This time you're expanding? What's going on? Huge, exciting news. We're growing. We're getting bigger. We have new members coming in from all over the country. So now we're getting back to having in-person events and they're coming to a city near you. We've got them in Houston, Austin, Boston, Portland, Ventura, Orange County, San Diego. We're coming for you. 
Oh my God, that's so exciting. So you can live anywhere. I love this. So Carrie, what do you think it is about Bra Network that makes it so special? Well, why don't I ask you? You've been a huge cheerleader for me, a huge champion for the women of this network. What do you like about Bra Network? Oh my gosh, Carrie. Well, if I mean, put me on the spot, why don't you? But I will say that I love the collaborative nature of everything Bra stands for. Whether we're hiring each other, whether we're going to events together, we're referring clients to each other. It's just a good feeling to collaborate and be in the space with some dynamic women. We can learn about money. We can learn about business. We can learn about LinkedIn, but we also can learn about spirituality or we can learn about self-care. So you really have something for everyone. I think it's really one of the best networking groups out there, which is why you know I'm your biggest fan. Why, thank you. (laughs) So everybody needs to join the Bra Network. Join now because the prices are increasing and it's coming to a city near you. So let's go. Warrior 2. Where do they go, Carrie? How do they join? Good question. Bra-network.com and use that code Warrior2 for 20% off. Today on the show, Dr. Adrian Udim. She is an internist who specializes in medical weight loss and clinical nutrition. Her mission is to transform the weight loss narrative to one that is both empowering and compassionate, inspiring people to live more physically and emotionally fulfilling lives. Her new book, Hungry for More, Stories and Science to Inspire Weight Loss from the Inside Out, explores the emotional and spiritual hungers that present as hunger for food. She also hosts the Health Bite podcast, ranked among the top 5% most listened to globally, and is the founder of Dell Nutrition, a complete line of nutritional supplements made with functional nutrients to promote health and well-being. Dr. Udim is a national speaker sought after by the media and has been featured on The Doctors, Dr. Phil, Dr. Oz, ABC News, and National Public Radio, to name a few. Welcome to the show, Dr. Adrian. Hi, Liz. Hello. I mean, I'm so happy to have you on. I'm so happy to be here, really. We've only been trying to do this for a year. <laughs> yes, that's not an exaggeration. It's not an exaggeration, but you know what? I feel like timing is always divine. So Absolutely. I actually think this is the perfect time for this. So I think this, the listeners are going to love what we're going to talk about today. So tell me about your life growing up. I know you're the daughter of immigrant parents. How did this shape you? You know, it's a question that I've thought about a lot lately, particularly given what's going on in the world and what's going on in Iran, which is where my parents were born and where culturally I'm from. I was born in the United States, but my parents, you know, while very much um, rooted in American values, we're also very much rooted in Persian values and culture. And so I learned to speak Farsi before I learned to speak English. My understanding of Judaism, my religion is very much steeped in my Persianness because my mom used to cook Persian food, if no other night on Friday nights for Shabbat. And, you know, some of these things I carry into my own life, you know, the cooking, the language with my own children. But I think, you know, my parents having this kind of combination of strength, grit, determination in being immigrants, combined with kind of the cultural sensibilities of of the Iranian culture, which is very much a culture seeped in art, creativity, love, roomy, poetry. And so I have those sides in me, you know, very much an academician, physician, white coat. I've got that, you know, but also very much a lover. 
Absolutely. And the creative side, you know, so so it, it formed my my parenting, my work, my writing deeply. I love that. And yes, I had I just had a, a wonderful woman on the podcast, Lisa Deftari. She operates the forum. Do you know her? Yes. Yes. So I she don't know her personally, but I admire her from afar. Me too. And so I had her on the podcast. That's amazing. <laughs> um, and she was incredible because I really wanted to talk to her about what is going on in Iran and what can we do? Like we, I, I, I feel helpless. I'm like, what do I do? Like, I'm not there. What can I do? So it was really a great conversation because not only did she shed light on the fact that this is a really interesting time because things are really coming to a head and even though they've come to a head and there's been protests and but th- this is kind of one of those tipping point moments where if we Absolutely. give it enough press if we give it enough you know attention that something could happen so that was like super yeah. encouraging when she said that yeah so, yeah it is it is time. what made you become so passionate about weight loss what has been your weight loss journey It's funny because I really didn't go into medicine thinking I'd focus on this at all. And it was very serendipitous how it all happened. You know, there's a story about how I was slated to do something very different, decided to get pregnant during my residency because I had been married for four years and my, you know, bestie, a white girl was getting pregnant. And I thought, well, hell, if she can do it, certainly the Persian girl with all the cultural baggage, you know, could do it. And really, that's how I decided. And, and it shifted everything for me to go into a different path. I don't know that I really understood w- why I was doing what I was doing until more recently. And even as soon as writing the book for me was really enlightening, kind of reevaluating my past, my childhood, my experiences with my patients. You know, I think like many women in our society, I have a food slash weight slash body story. I really struggled with my sense of self in terms of my weight. I was overweight as a child, not terribly so in terms of like the numbers, you know, if I want to be kind of really strict about the criteria of obesity as a physician, you know, but in my mind, I was morbidly obese. I mean, I might as well have been a hundred pounds overweight, even though it was like 20, because the way in which I obsessed over it and it dictated my sense of self is really profound. And, you know, in retrospect, traumatic. You know, I didn't know at the time that I was what I was doing to myself. But now from a a mother's eye, being a mother to three myself, I can see how injurious that whole thing was. And so you know, my practice uh, has shifted from where it was when I started being very much medical. And I still am. I prescribe medications. I'm very much aware of the complications of excess weight. I don't buy into the health of at every size. And I know that's a controversial thing to say, but I can say more. I really believe in the health aspects of it. But I also wholeheartedly understand and believe in the psychological, emotional, spiritual aspects of food and our relationship with our bodies. And I think when we really embrace those two things, that's when we can really do good for ourselves. And as a physician, I embrace those two and how I help navigate this with my patients. Isn't it funny how 
becoming a mother gives you such crazy perspective on your own childhood. You you just think about how the things you went through, you don't want your kids going through, especially if you feel like you were tortured or traumatized by whatever it was. So what a blessing that you have that perspective also for people who do come see you who have children, who maybe they're obsessing over their weight in their house and passing that kind of on to their kids unknowingly, because that's how we do things as mothers. Sometimes we just unknowingly, you know, kind of, we think we're doing the right thing for our kid, but we're really, you know, the mothers, our mothers thought they were doing the right thing, but you know, they weren't sometimes. So I think it's such an amazing thing. You have that perspective, but I want to ask you a little bit more about, so you don't subscribe to the whole healthy at any size. Can you kind of, I mean, I kind of feel like I understand what you mean by that. Can you kind of go into that a little bit? It's very clear that, well, first of all, let's say this bodies come in different shapes and sizes. The way that we diagnose excess weight by a BMI or body mass index has limitations. It doesn't account for gender, ethnicity, age, body composition. And so it's limited. That having been said, there's still value there. And so I wouldn't throw it all away. Having said that, when people gain weight, excess weight, which happens over the lifespan, you know, and is happening at an accelerated pace every coming year since the 80s when the CDC started tracking this. We know that excess weight is associated with health complications, heart disease, diabetes, cancers, joint disease, mood disorders. I mean, it is associated with a lot of what we call comorbidities. And it, it's in and of itself is considered a disease. So obesity, while the society continues to think of it as a moral failing or a character flaw, it's actually pathological issue where your hormones, you know, are in disarray. And so whenever your normal physiology is in disarray, that by definition is a disease. And so that's that's the facts. Now, could you be overweight and not have any medical issues? Absolutely. Could you smoke and not have any medical issues? Yeah, absolutely. It happens. But are you putting yourself at greater risk? Yes. I understand the ethos out of which this phrase came. And that was that as physicians, we were not doing a good job and we are still not doing a good job addressing this problem in a, with different language. Patients feel ashamed. They feel vilified. They feel like... It is a character flaw. And so this movement came out of a desire to change the narrative around weight loss, which is very much necessary. But we don't change the narrative by lying to people and saying health is every size. We change the narrative by giving people compassion and teaching them to have compassion for themselves. And so really what we should be saying is compassion at every size, no judgment at every size. But health at every size is misconstrued. And I don't think people like it either. You know, I don't know that the, the average person who knows that they're not feeling well, I don't know that telling them, oh, no, honey, health at every size is really what they're looking for. They want help, but they want help in a way that's compassionate and caring and effective. Yeah. And I think you already said the point that, you know, the BMI does not account for race, ethnicity, different shapes of different bodies, all the things. So you're, you're, you, while you're looking at the BMI, I'm sure you're not looking at it with such a strict lens. You are still using it as a range to know like this, you know, you're, you're way out of range, even, even if I account for all these right different things. 
So I think it's a good point to make, right? That that even though bodies do look different, you know, there's still when you were morbidly obese, <laughs> then we then we got a problem, right? So and you know, and we don't need to even get into the quote normal BMI range to achieve benefits. And this is an argument I end up having with my patients because my patients sometimes are like, you know, they come in desperate wanting any degree of weight loss. And then once they start losing weight, they forget that desperation and and then don't celebrate the fact that they've lost 20 pounds, for example, and and will only celebrate if they lose 30 or 40 or 50. And I have to tell them, you know what? 20 is pretty damn good. Yeah. (laughs) And you're achieving health benefits from 20 as well. And so it goes both ways, right? It goes both ways. I can imagine, I mean, speaking of people coming to you and uh, how they're feeling, I can imagine that by the time people come see you, they are, I mean, you're a weight loss doctor. So at that point, they have tried every damn thing. They have tried every focaccia diet, every starvation plan, hired a personal trainer. I'm sure they've done every single thing. What? When when did you realize that there was something different or deeper or more had to be done to help people actually lose weight? I had this sense, I feel like early on, when I was in my academic position, I would sense that I'm kind of holding back. I would want to counsel people in other ways and be like a best friend or a life coach and, and try and address some of the other issues like that were elephants in the room, so to speak, their work, their relationships, their, you know, missed opportunities. You know how these things are, Liz, they like, they (laughs) bubble up to the surface, you squash them, they bubble up, you squash them. And finally, you know, it grabbed me by both shoulders and was like, you know, wake the flip up. And start having these conversations with your patients because this is what they want to hear. And so it changed everything. And I'll still write prescriptions, but then we have the conversations. And that's what makes this work so rewarding to me is not the fact that people lose 10 pounds, but the fact that in ditching their job and going out solo, they live their best life and they lose 10 pounds. Absolutely. Well, what questions should we be asking ourselves? Because I'm sure some people right now are thinking, well, maybe I don't need to go to Dr. Yudim. <laughs> uh, how do I know? What questions should we be asking ourselves if we're struggling to lose weight? Because a lot of people, you know, we 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 start off good. You know, I always say people slow it down. I, I feel like a lot of people kind of try to go like, I'm going to eat salad every day and work out, run 10 miles every day. And I'm like, how about you just eat clean <laughs> and you work, walk, take some walks. <laughs> like, let's start, you know, let's just start something. What should we be asking ourselves if we're struggling to lose weight? I mean, there's so many ways that I could approach this question, but my basic tenant, which I bring up in the book in every single chapter is what are you hungry for? And the studies show that when we experience difficult emotions we literally, we experience a surge in hunger hormones. And so physiologic or physical hunger and emotional hunger really gets all convoluted and mixed together. And so it really takes awareness and intention to tease out emotional hunger from physical hunger to really explore what it is that you're hungry for. And so, for example, 
You're sitting in bed at the end of the day, watching Netflix or scrolling on your phone, right? You've had a full dinner. You know you're not hungry, and yet you find yourself being pulled to the pantry. What What's going on in that moment? Maybe you're tired, right? And sleep deprivation also increases hunger hormones. Maybe you're agitated by the content of your phone and you need to put your phone away. Maybe you've had a long day and you need to do a brain dump in a journal and, you know, let go of some of the things you're ruminating over. Maybe your husband's snoring next to you and what you really need is some connection with your husband uh, or with a friend and you need to pick up the phone and call a friend. There really is something there. And we may not stumble upon it easily. Sometimes it's obvious, like the sleep scenario. That's an easy one. Sometimes it's deep, right? Yeah. But if we can do this work of creating space and pause and awareness, um, we can get to that, you know, as opposed to what we tend to do, which is react. There's a trigger. There's a desire. It's uncomfortable. Desire is uncomfortable when we just sit with it, right? Cravings are uncomfortable. In fact, they cravings and desire turn on the sympathetic nervous system, which is the, the fight or flight, the part of your nervous system that makes you move and do something. So it takes a lot of deliberation to be like, I'm just going to sit here for a moment, not react. And see what's coming up for me. That's very different than saying, no, you're not allowed to have a cookie. You're a grown ass woman. If you want to have a cookie at the end of your 10 minutes of pause or journaling or breathing exercise, go have a cookie. But maybe you can negotiate with yourself before I get up and react and go grab that cookie. I'm going to just spend 15 minutes here and ride this wave and see what happens. And you may not be successful every time, but with practice you'll start to develop the resilience to do that. Now, I want to address something else really quickly, because to your point, when we start this or anything for that matter, we're all gung-ho and we're batting for 100%. And when we don't get 100%, then we get pissed and we throw in the towel. And so the other point we need to make is that, number one, we don't need to be perfect in order to be effective. And number two, that... We have to manage our expectations. You're not going to bat 100%. So going in with that expectation is just setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. I mean, it's so true. You you can't, it's like, you want to go zero to a hundred. It's like, well, you're going to, you're going to, you might get there, but then you're going to snap right back to the zero. So it doesn't, it's not going to work. Right. So in your book, I, I, first of all, I love the way your book is set up because all the chapters are like, what are you hungry for? I'm hungry for belonging. I'm hungry for rest. I'm hungry for connection. And so what made you organize the chapters like that? Because I think it's so brilliant. I've never seen a book organized like that. It's almost like it's a journal and it's like a memoir and then it's like a novel. It, it's It's so interesting. This book is so much more than... A weight loss book. You know, it's not like, like eat this piece of lettuce and then run around the block three times. It's more about like, this is people's real experiences of what they were hungry for that they were covering up with food. Yes. And my own, by the way, right. Yes. I mean, I put my yeah. own experiences in there. And I love that you said that because I, I almost feel like I don't like shying away from the term weight loss, right. That goes 
goes back to what the conversation we had earlier. I feel like it's important to name it. And I don't like that it's become a dirty word. I did it a disservice a little bit, maybe if people are really just thinking that this is a diet book because it's so it goes beyond that surface layer of food. You know, the inspiration behind the book is that I was hearing all these stories from my patients for years. You know, I've been doing this work for over 15 years and the same stories kept coming up over and over again. And you know, I found myself wanting to give my patients solace or comfort by sharing other people's stories, which is not really HIPAA compliant. You know, you can't be like, that's what I do, but I'm allowed to do it. (laughs) Right. You can't be like, Oh, Liz, by the way, was here the other day and she had, you know, a sleeve of Oreos because so, so my book was really an answer to that. It was my desire to share the commonality behind not only patient stories, but also my own stories. There were certain chapters that I couldn't a hundred percent align with, right? Like they weren't a hundred percent my experience, but that didn't, doesn't mean that I didn't on some level experience every single one of those hungers. And so I share my own story alongside the patient stories as a way to validate that universal experience. And then I share the science behind it because I think when we put science behind something, then it becomes even more concrete. And we're like, yes, this is real because the hormones or the science, right, supports it. And I think that that validation, that common humanity piece, it's it's an essential part of a self-compassion practice, right? And so I really, this was my, I say my love letter to the world, because I really feel like it helps people view this very common problem through a lens of self-compassion that we do not do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you're really on to something because like when I do these, I run like mastermind groups and I do these, you know, group kind of uh, classes. And the reason I do everything in groups, it's not like I can't, you know, meet with you, Adrian, one-on-one and we can coach and we can do all the things, but my God, it goes so much further, faster. It's so much more connected when I show the women, remember when I interviewed you from the mastermind and you thought, I don't think I should be in there because nobody else has this. And then I put you in the room with two other women that have that exact thing. And you said her, she has this too. It is so powerful when you show people how much we have in common and how they're not alone and that this is a thing, that your hunger for belonging, your hunger for connection is real, that, you, that you're you wired for that, in fact, and that that's something real that you actually need to feed. And that's why you are hungry because <laughs> you are hungry for more. You want that. And that it's okay to give yourself that. You don't have to feel shame about it and think, well, gosh, what's wrong with me? I should probably go eat 10 more cookies so I don't feel like I need this kind of connection from my husband. Right. Besides the fact that it doesn't scratch the itch, right? When we use food or any kind of external substance, alcohol, smoking, whatever, to scratch that itch, we find ourselves going back for more and more. Why? Yes, there's a dopamine issue there and, you know, there's a science behind it. But really, it's because that that connection, to use your example, that we're longing for is still not met. And so, the first cookie or the 15th cookie is, is, you know, just as ineffective as the first in terms of satisfying the hunger. 
And so when we can realize that, that's such a potent, you know, motivator of change. It's so much more potent than saying, don't eat the cookie, eat the cookie, but like, it's not doing a damn thing for you in this moment. And so if we can realize that in the moment, then we can act upon it and approach it from a place of knowing and understanding rather than a place of shame and restriction and smack you on the, on the hand. hundred percent. And, you know, I love that you say eat the cookie or whatever, because truly the, the, the more we resist things, like, you know, the minute you tell yourself and say restrict, you know, like you can't have it. It's like, how much more, like when you're pregnant and you're not allowed to eat certain foods, my God, did I want those foods more than any foods I ever, it's like, you tell me I can't have something, Dr. Udim, and then then I'm going to be like, you know what? Now I want that. Now I want a grilled cheese. I never eat a grilled cheese, but now you just told me I can't have one. So now I put it in my brain. It's almost like rather than making everything so restrictive, you're saying, let's go deeper because it's not about restricting you. You are a damn adult. If you really want a cookie, you're going to have it. It's about what is beneath the cookie. What? Because it's not about the cookie and it never has been. Right. So I think it's so brilliant what you're talking about. In your book, you mentioned how people often cry in your office. You have tissues ready and you're not a therapist. I just want to say like, you know, it'd be obvious. Like you're a therapist. Of course, people are going to come cry. I mean, people, listen, I got, I got tissues on my desk, but I welcome the tears. I always tell people, oh, I'm going to cry. I'm like, good, cry. Yes, let it out, you know. But you're, you are over here talking about weight loss, but you are ready. People are going to come in that office and you say they cry a lot. So what, what, do, you, what do you think the process of uncovering the, the what's beneath the weight, why is that so emotional for people? Because- or, or is it the shame? Like we were talking about before, like, is it the, sh- they feel shame about it, right. that they're even there. Like what, what is, what are the tears about? Yes. So there is that. That's kind of a surface layer emotion, I think. Not that I'm, I'm not dismissing it, but that that's certainly a piece of it. I think our unmet needs, I think when our needs go unmet, it's, it's sad. It's emotional. As these things come to the surface, you know, we, we feel it and experience it in, in different ways. And so I, I think that is the reason. And food is such a universal language. It's, it means love. It means community. It means togetherness. Food is medicine. I mean, it, it's, it has so many meanings. And so I think we use food in so many different ways that, that are, uh, that cover other, again, hungers or, or needs that that uncovering process is really emotional. Yeah. And I think it's a good point. You know, you can't just tell someone not to eat. It's not like drugs. It's like, well, don't do the drugs. Like that is just like a cold, hard no, right? But you're not telling someone not to eat. They can't not eat. So then you have to get into the nuance of, right? What what are you eating and when are you eating and why are you eating and all the nuances of that? So it's it's a it's a complicated dance because you're right. People, you know, they grew up in families where they have these beautiful meals or that, you know, they learn to cook from their grandmother, but guess what? Their grandmother cooked really fattening food, you know? So it is, it is, I think, hard to kind of disconnect some of those things for people because they probably are, their food itself is weighted with emotion. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it is a challenge, but I also feel like it's very challenging, but also we make it really complicated. 
you know, we make it complicated and we have all these food rules and we have all these different diets and, and now you need to pee on a keto stick so that you know if you're doing the food thing right. Give me a fucking break. The, the keto stick just kills me. So, you know, I, I think we can, we all really know, we know intuitively what's right for us, you know? And so if we go back to the basics, I think that's a great place to start is really just the way our moms taught us to eat, you know, is the right way. And I say that, you know, I've been told, you know, some, some of us, our moms took us to McDonald's and actually my mom did take me to McDonald's too. But even though she took me to McDonald's, I knew that like wholesome, what the meaning of wholesome food was, you know, I knew what there, there was a time for that. And there was a time for wholesome food. And I think if we go back to our, the basics and even if, if, let's say you you didn't again have that experience if you go back to how you feel right so when we eat let's say a bowl of cereal for breakfast right if we really are aware we can feel what that does to us it's a processed uh sugary substance right you get this immediate surge of sugar in your bloodstream you feel high or energized in the first 20 30 minutes then you get the insulin response which is also, you know, uh, amplified because of that quick sugar. So now the insulin gobbles up the sugar in your bloodstream and your blood sugar plummets. And 60, 90 minutes later, you're irritable, you're fatigued, you're yawning, you're craving, you're hungry again. So if we think about it, that food, that cereal really didn't nourish us. It just hijacked us and took us for a joyride. So I think even if you don't have that experience of being taught properly, if you're really in tuned with how you feel after a meal, same with comfort food. You know, we talk about comfort food and people always say, oh, you're taking away my pleasure. Really? Am I taking away your pleasure? Because what we can't isolate just that immediate moment after we put the food in our mouths. Yes, there's a dopamine hit and it's pleasurable. And trust me, we just had Thanksgiving, right? I ate the crust off of that whole damn pie. (laughs) My brother got so annoyed with me because he went and bought like this Winston pie. And he's like, what are you doing? You're destroying the pie. And I was like, you know what? Dopamine, dopamine, dopamine. (laughs) But I don't do that regularly. Why? Because 30, 60, 90 minutes after I eat like that, I feel like crap. Right. So we have to really take the entire experience when we think about comfort food. And if we do that, then we realize, oh, yeah, actually, it wasn't so comfortable. No, it wasn't. No, you're right about that. And when you feel like you're in a food coma, like people are like, ah, food coma, that doesn't feel good. Doesn't feel food good. Coma, having you take a nap, that actually doesn't feel good. You're doing that because you're just damn exhausted and your body is a rebelling against you. So you're right about that. hundred percent. And I'm not vilifying it, right? Like we all had this, you know, we all have the holidays coming up. You want to do it mindfully. It, the food means something. It has a significance beyond the calories. It means family and togetherness. Do it. But when we do that every single day, right? We feel like shit and we're going to gain weight. And by the way, it's not just the weight, right? It's not just the physical complications or side effects of eating that way, but the same foods that are associated with comfort are also associated with depression, anxiety, and mood disorders. So, so what's good for our body is also good for the mind. And what's not good for the body is also not good for the mind. So you don't want to focus on calories and you don't want to focus on bodies and you want to talk about body positivity. Great. Do what's positive 
for your mind and body by eating the right foods. 100%. Well said. I love that. We're on to the speed round. This is party time. Fun times for us. What does it mean to you to be a warrior woman? A warrior woman for me is being afraid or experiencing difficult emotions and showing up anyway. Yes, I love that. What is a mantra or quote that you live by? I think the more we do, the more I do, the more I peel back layers of um, self-doubt. And we know that like imposter syndrome and all those things that plague us, you know, when we do big things and it, it came out when I was writing this book, who the hell is going to read this book? You know, what am I doing writing a book? I'm a doctor. I'm not an author, yada, yada, yada. Um, and I think the mantra of you belong here is really powerful. Mm. I love that. I love the whole belonging thing. Even that chapter in the book, I thought was so so good hunger for belonging because a lot i mean we're all hung we all want to belong we want to okay. feel like we're, we belong to something and and and, and, and anything really so yeah. yes i love that uh what makes you feel unstoppable connection that moment that aha moment that i have with a patient or a friend or even you and i over zoom doing this podcast that aha moment where two humans sync up makes me sore yeah, I love that too. Uh, what are you most proud of? I could say the stuff like my family and my kids, and I really am proud of them. But I think this is a personal question. And I'm really p- proud of my ability to pivot. You know, we started the conversation talking about how I was doing something totally different. And I decided to, you know, quit at, at that fellowship and, and go into the space of nutrition I was in academics. I quit and went into private practice. I started a bar company, a supplement company. I wrote a book. I started speaking. And, you know, along each point, I had a major reckoning. It wasn't easy, but ultimately it was the permission to pivot that allowed me to explore something new. And I'm proud of that. That's amazing. I love that. What keeps you going when you're feeling lost? The reminder that it'll pass, you know, it, I used to get so entangled in that negative emotion or negative thought for that matter. And now learning to detach from that a little bit and, and knowing that it'll pass allows me to pick myself up and keep going. I love the whole everything's temporary. Like, I love that because I also like it because I feel like even the good things like teaches you to be grateful because you know, you can't really recreate great moments. Like great moments kind of come and then they're gone. And the, but also the pain, it got, it comes and goes, you know? So I think it's kind of, even though it's, you want, you want the good times to stay, you don't want the good times to be temporary, but it teaches you to appreciate like, wow, everything's going right right now. Everything's going really well. I'm like really happy right now. Right. It's, it's a good feeling. What's exciting you the most right now? I just did a, a TED talk a few weeks ago. Hopefully it'll be live by the time the podcast oh goes gosh. live. I really enjoy speaking. I used to do it in an, in an academic space to f- fellow physicians. And now I'm doing it more and more in the community. And it's fun. I really enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you've got so much to say. 
And I think it's amazing. I'm looking forward to this TED Talk. I'm going to put your book in the show notes. I'm going to put how to get in touch with you in the show notes. I think you're really on to something. You know, when I, when someone first suggested I had you on, you were, they said you were working for weight loss. I was like, no, <laughs> I don't want to have her on. Why? Why do I want the weight loss? No. And then I was like, when I saw the book and I read it, I was like, oh, I get it. I get it. Because first of all, people do need to lose weight. That's a real thing. They do need to do that. But I was going to the, like we talked about before, shame side of it. I was like, oh, I don't want these women to feel shamed. I want them to feel like they, you know, love their bodies. But what your book really does is help people get back to loving their bodies because what they're doing is they're stuffing all these things down. So I think it's such a beautiful way to kind of explore what you're hungry for. So I really appreciate you coming on today. I appreciate you having me, Liz. It's been lovely. This has been a great conversation. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining me today. And remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star written review. This is the Conversations with Warrior Women podcast with me, Liz Swadek. And remember, every woman has a story. You just need to ask her. Bye.